thing starting recording. All right, there we are. All right, I'll just bring it in here in a second. No problem. Good. Okay. Um, all right, welcome everybody into the first interview ever for the Unwanted Things podcast. We have with you a pretty special guest who I've been reading a little bit of his work. Uh, unfortunately, work got in the way. I wanted to really be, have everything read from that was possible to read from you, but I'll be honest. I only got to listen to what you had on YouTube, and I read a few of the stories that you sent that we talked about having on the show. I have writer Mike Thorne. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. Not a problem. This is something that I've really wanted to do for a while, but as in our email chain, every email starts with, sorry for the late reply, and I'm just, <laughs> I'm late to do everything. And I just, uh, being like a young, I say young, I'm, I'm in my 30s, uh, but uh, new to writing, um, I've just I've, I've found like the writing community to be really like positive for the most part, like the, the writers. I'm sure there's a there's an aspect to it that I don't know about yet. That's pretty dark. Um, but then and then the horror community as well. And we kind of met each other on Twitter, um, which I also think is a pretty positive thing there. And I just thought it would be cool to uh, kind of branch out and reach out to other horror creators uh, and writers specifically, especially to maybe pick your brain for a little bit as somebody who is uh uh, like I said, I've written like 12 short stories ever. That's all I've ever done, working up the chain. And uh, so that's enough about me. Everybody knows. Everybody here knows that about me. Uh, so let's hear about who, who's Mike Thorne. What, what's uh, where's he from? What's he done? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I've basically been here my entire life. I was born in a small town called Drayton Valley, but moved to Calgary before I was uh, old enough to remember. Um, but I have a big change coming up, actually. Uh, next month, I'm moving to New Brunswick, which is on the East Coast in Canada. I'm starting my uh, PhD in creative writing there. So I'm very excited about that. Awesome, um, awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's a big change for me, but I, I feel ready for it, you know? Um, and yeah, I've written a few books. Uh, my short story collection, Darkest Hours, was just re-released as Darkest Hours Expanded Edition through Journalstone. So that's a collection of short stories that also includes, um, a section of, uh, essays on horror cinema and some author notes for every story and a foreword by the great, uh, Sadie Hartman. Shout out to Mother Horror. And oh, my day, I, I watched that. I watched the, the little YouTube thing. I did oh, did that. you? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I was so it was so cool to be a part of that. So, yeah, I love I love all the stuff she does for horror and for the community. She's just she's a badass. Yeah, Sadie's the yeah. Coolest. And there are there are a few creators that that's why I like uh I don't know I've kind of seen you and a few other people on Twitter and that's kind of what we what maybe want to interject myself is like it seems like there is a like I said I'm sure there is a a darker side two things but it seems like there is a niche of writers and creators who like want to help and uh you know boost each other so uh i don't know i thought that was pretty cool and then i got on youtube sort of researching you uh doing some things like that so i wasn't a complete idiot when i talked to you and <laughs> i knew something about your work uh and uh, so real quick, though, no relation to Mike Thorne, who is the wrestler at Minnesota, correct? <laughs> no. And in fact, I uh, I uh, jokingly resent this Mike Thorne because when you Google, <laughs> when you Google my name, yes. it's like, you know, it makes me look bad because this other guy's like a wrestling champion. And then it's like, <laughs> what, you've written a few books? Like, go learn how to yeah. wrestle and then we'll talk. I was looking at the snap, like, I don't know, they look, like, similar enough, but this photo's old. I don't think that's the same guy. Another skinny <laughs> I can't white guy. I the conclusion that it's not. 
Yeah, yes. Um, but yeah, anyways, I didn't mean to, to side uh, sidetrack you there. No, so no problem. you got a new big career move coming up. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, the Darkest Hours, and then my debut novel, Shelter for the Damned, came out in February as well. Um, that's like a coming-of-age suburban horror novel. And my next short story collection, Peel Back and See, is also coming from Journal Stone in October. So um, that's the yeah. come out. <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, yes, October is, you know, it's it's ideal. So, yeah, and I, you know what? I, it's interesting you said that about um, the horror community and the writing community. That's good to hear. And, and you know what? Generally, that's been my experience, too. I've, I've, people in, in the horror world, especially, I th- you're in the right place. It's a really... Yeah. Nice group of people, really compassionate, supportive people, you know, who are involved in horror tend to live and breathe the genre and really right. care about it and really love it. And, um, and it's pretty niche. So I think most of us have probably felt that cold shoulder of, you know, uh, you know, you're being weird or that's a weird thing to be to like, <laughs> you know, so I think we, we try to be pretty supportive. And I'm sure, again, at the top or even, you know. Levels around the bottom, there, there are people that are a little, uh, things get clicky, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've definitely enjoyed, even like, talking with you, like I said, I'm, I'm just a guy who likes to write a little bit. Um, and talking with you a little bit too, uh, I, so you're definitely the type, you've studied writing. You've, like, you, you've went, uh, that route, probably the correct route. <laughs> um, so that, like, is that something that you've, always been interested in did you always kind of know you wanted to write or did that just kind of hit you one day uh i've I've always just written um it was some i i I often describe it as some maybe pathological condition while the other kids were out doing normal things like playing football or interacting with each other i was sitting inside writing gory stories about monsters (laughs) and possession uh, so I don't know what that is. That's just something in my brain that's always been there. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to formally study uh, writing or even literature, though. I, I There was a period in, in high school where I became much more interested in acting, actually. And I've always been obsessed with film, too. It's always been like film, fiction and music. Um, although I, I have absolutely no musical skill whatsoever. So that shut that possibility <laughs> out. But uh, yeah, you know what? I, for a while, I was considering going to film school. I remember I was like 14 and I went to um, a Q&A for Vancouver Film School. And they were like, why are you here? You're way too young to apply. But I was just like, I was set on that. Right. Um, and then I kind of stumbled my way through university, found my way into an English literature degree. Um, and here I am. I, I, I'm a very kind of, I just kind of go by instinct. I, I, I want to be able to continue to live and write. So I just do the things that seem the best suited to accommodate that. Um, yeah. And that's for me, like it was, uh, I've always been really interested in it, but I was, I don't want to say scared, but like you'd always put, I'd put pen to paper and then I'd just be like, this sucks. I'm never going to let anybody see that. And, mm. <laughs> and then one day, like, I, uh, honestly, it was, a. uh, uh different podcasts and that's kind of what inspired me to write was like uh like uh jason hill's horror hill and uh certain things like that i was like man like this is uh it's cool to see like i'm i'm learning new names new writers and stuff this way because there are so many writers in it and i love the anthology thing too and that's what kind of gravitated me towards you my the show that this show is an anthology based thing 
Because while obviously like things that go on for a long time and you get attached to characters and things like that, but it's also cool too when there's just a really, you know, maybe a 20 minute story it takes you to read and you go through like a whole ton of emotions and then at the end you're like, what just happened? <laughs> so that's kind of where I've kind of cornered myself trying to get better uh, each time. But I've, I've, I've wrestled with, like, t- I've talked to a few friends and they've wondered, and I, so I want to ask you, do you mm-hmm. think, try to, how to word, I should have written this down so I could word it correctly. Would you say that for me and people who are like me that don't have any sort of degree in writing, do you think that puts us at like a, a significant disadvantage in trying to do this or, um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you kind of just take it from there. Some yes and. <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't think so. I, I actually, I don't have any uh, extensive formal writing training. Like my my undergrad was in English literature. I took a couple courses in creative writing, and there are some things you can learn on those courses, and they were valuable. Um, but my, my, my master's degree was also just in English literature and I took no creative writing courses during my master's, but I wrote the entirety of Darkest Hours while doing my master's. If anything, my thesis was more of a film and philosophy thesis. Um, I think there are all different kinds of routes to take. I think if you have the hunger and the need and the desire to write, then, then write and, and, um, I, I think a big part of it is just shutting out those voices in your head saying, this is shit, no one's going to want to read this, or whatever. It's okay if uh, you write a lot of shitty stories. I think every great writer has written a lot of not great fiction. You know, like right. I have tons of fiction that, thank God, has never been published because <laughs> it wasn't good. And and that's okay. Yeah. I, you learn something through that process. And I think... um yeah, the important thing is to, you know, uh, just keep keep reading and keep writing. I think that's all there is to it. It really is that simple. Reading and writing is the only way to do it. That's that's my point yeah. of view anyway. I don't think there's one right path. Yeah, I, I was just curious. Like I said, I like to that's a question I like to ask a few different people that, like I said, try to do um, either writing or podcasting or anything like that. Um, that kind of leads me to uh, as well. I wanted to know. So we talked about the fact that you kind of always just wanted to write, it was always just there, which I can definitely like relate to that a bit too, which even with my wife, sometimes there'll be a conversation happening and uh, I'll just kind of like not be back in the conversation anymore. She's like, what? And then I'll like, Oh, like I was just thinking you said this. And I was like, wouldn't it be fucked up if like there was a story and something like that happened? She's like, so your mind just went like to that really fucked up thing just right now as I was talking to you. Like, Very yes. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, like you said, it's sometimes that stuff that create, like it's just, there's something in your brain that just like, whether or not I sat down to write or not, sometimes I just think of like a premise. I'm not going to say it's a cool premise because it might be a dumb one, but like, you know, that premise will pop up. So I was curious, was there, you knew that you wanted to write pretty much forever, but was there a person or a thing that, uh, you were like, that's kind of the niche when you saw that. Like, I think this this is the direction that I want to go with my stuff. Now, I know you've done anthology, so you've kind of gone a little everywhere. But I've kind of noticed it seems like you, you try to write to – it's not just straight up horror. There's more to it. Mm-hmm. So did, like, that come from somewhere? Yeah, I think um, I've always read – uh, 
I've tried to uh, read widely. I've always been interested in all kinds of fiction and nonfiction. So I think that just bleeds into the fiction organically. I've definitely over time had encounters with specific authors that felt really electric and really visceral and palpable. Um, and, and those kinds of like urgent early encounters, I think are so formative. I think the, the writers you encounter in like your teens and early twenties are often the ones who stick with you the longest. They just become kind of part of your DNA. And for me, those writers are, um, Hubert Selby Jr., who wrote Last Exit to Brooklyn, Requiem for a Dream. Um, okay. and okay. A, yeah, a numerous other, his, his voice and his sensibility and his fixations on, um, subjectivity and obsession and addiction, all of those things worked their way into, into my, um, into my work and the way he, he conveys pain through voice. Um, so he, he was a huge one. Stephen King was a huge one. I, I, yeah, first, it's, yeah I, it's hard to, if you write horror and you're like, no, nah, Stephen King really never, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're lying, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. I mean, he almost goes without saying, it's like yeah. we all live and breathe Stephen King to some extent. <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And for, uh, for, he's definitely like one of mine, like, because it's, I love for, sorry to just derail what you were saying. No, not at all. Go ahead. I love his ability to, like, just describe things without, like, rambling on. He can describe, like, an entire room, and, like, I'm into it. Like, he'll describe how the doorknob felt in the person's hand and how the floor sounded as they walk. And, like, no word has been said yet in, in this part, but I'm still into it. Where, like, I try to do that sometimes, and then I'll, I'll read it or listen to it later. I'm like, dude, you were rambling. That person had to be really bored <laughs> for that three minutes. Like, I, I try to do that thing that he does so well. At least that to me, that's that's one of the things that I love about him is I think he's just he's able to put me like in the place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, he has a really immersive approach to the genre and he has such a distinct voice. It's like always like, a, you know, like speaking with an old friend, opening up a new King book, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, huge. He was huge for me. I think I read. I think I read Pet Cemetery when I was about 12, and I always bring that up as one of the big formative moments for me as a reader. Um, and then Jim Thompson, who, as a crime fiction writer, he was a really big encounter for me in my 20s, too. Um, Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft as well. Kathy Koja. Yeah. Uh, have yeah. you read Koja? She's a, a master. No, I have yeah. not. Like, um, I'm definitely uh, in the Lovecraft stand section like i even have a i do a um a little uh i don't really know what genre we are it's it's heavier music we're metal but we're not like uh i don't know metal core or anything like that i'm not sure what to call it but uh it's uh called the cypher the lore and basically we break down like different cryptids or things like that and the first one we ever did it's a three-part thing we're still working on it we have one song out and it's about uh cthulhu uh just because it's 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 weird when not we when uh, but uh, it's crazy how one person kind of just created like an entire genre with that cosmic horror and I don't think he set out to do that and of course there are things if we really want to talk about him as a person and there are negative you know things that we could talk about but as a writer and, and a lot of his fears came from like they came through in his writing mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah th- I think that's like my favorite subgenre within horror is that cosmic even within movies like when you watch mm-hmm. like the thing and, and, mm-hmm. and movies like that yeah uh, 
where you're just like you're watching this or the boy that was a recent one that I just thought was pretty insane like by the time you get to the end of the movie like it's like it was like three different movies there's a beginning where it's just stuff going on you get to the end like I don't know what just happened to be honest there were monsters (laughs) and it was really messed up I didn't really need a plot doesn't really need a good ending and I think that's where some of that stuff uh, from HB comes from he's definitely a big influence on me too but uh, I'll, I'll let you if you had any more uh please continue Cool. Yeah, no, always, always nice to meet another, uh, Lovecraft freak. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Kathy Koja, uh, Don DeLillo was a big one too. He's an American fiction writer whose style, just his prose style really excited me and attracted me. And then there's a philosopher and sometime fiction writer, uh, Georges Bataille. He was a big, big encounter for me too. I discovered him in my undergrad. And recently, you know, I just, uh, found myself fully immersed in the, uh, in the bibliography of Brett Easton Ellis. I had never read any Ellis until this year. And that, that has been one of the most electric new encounters I've had with an author's work in recent memory. So it still happens, you know, I'm always reading and discovering and, um, but yeah, those are some of the names that always come to mind. And as a yeah. kid, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, those were huge for me as a those kid. Those were great. Uh, I'm also, and I'm really excited about it, uh, but Robert Jordan as well, and they're doing, I don't know if you read the Wheel of Time series. I have not. No, I have um, not. Well, it's, it's a very long series, so I would tell you to, like, get into it, but it's, like, 15 books. It's very long. It's one of my favorites. Um, but they have an Amazon series coming out, and then there's also supposed to be, I don't know how what they're going to do exactly, because it, it honestly kind of scares me. I guess there's going to be a three- a, a series of three movies as well, but it's like this is a this is fifteen books. There's wow. a lot of stuff left out of the Lord of the Rings, and that was three. And yeah. They made three movies, so I don't know how we're gonna cram. The the fan in me is like, please don't ruin this experience for people that I've been telling people is this this great fantasy series, and then you make these three horrible movies, and everybody's like, you're an idiot. That's stunk. <laughs> like, yeah, like that was did that you was see one what they did with uh, the Dark Tower, that Dark Tower movie. Yes. See, yeah. I never even watched it because I was I was like waiting and the reviews were not great. Yeah, not yes. great. Pop, so so I stayed away from it. Uh, and another one I read the the Redwall series growing up too, which was yeah I, I did too. Did you? I read those? Yeah, I loved those books as a kid. Oh, they were great. Like it was a really cool like, introduction. But they got like, I don't know I don't know why they were in my school. And other there were some pretty violent parts in it too. Uh, yeah. Like now I look back there, I remember there was like a, like a evil like I think he was like a rat. King, I remember he got like beheaded like at Redwall, and I was like, I don't know if this should have been in this book, but I'm not going to tell anybody because I just got a lot of AR points. Well, I don't know if you guys had those, but uh, you know, basically you got points for reading books, and then you would get some sort of reward for it. Uh, okay. Which is also not going to lie, big part of what got me into reading, and because I, I saw those big fantasy novels, and I was like, those are the big point books right there. Yeah, so start reading those because I want to get that really cool poster. Uh, and then there we go. I inadvertently became a fantasy nerd. <laughs> fantasy nerd in the making. Beautiful. Yeah. And then eventually it led to uh, horror and things like that. Because I was actually, when you were younger, were you, like, scared of horror movies and things like that? Obviously, the point is to be scared. But we're, to the point that, like, it would, like, I, I was scared of the dark. Oh, you lost your signal there for a second, Cameron. Oh, I think you're back. Okay, Let's you see. got me? Yeah, now you're back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I was scared of the dark until, like, an embarrassing age. I don't even know exactly what, but getting close to being a teenager. Um, but then eventually, I don't know, I just, like, I always loved it because it's, it's like I was scared, 
I would still watch them. Mm-hmm. People were like, like, why do you subject yourself to it if you're literally going to have nightmares? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I do this to myself. It's that weird, like, attraction revulsion thing. Yeah. 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 I, 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 oh, I, I definitely as a kid, I would, I remember like seeing The Exorcist and Pet Cemetery too young and they totally fucked me up, but I loved it. Um, yeah. The, the gateway ones for me, and we'll get to, it. I guess this can be, this can be our segue into the, uh, into the next, um, thing. I saw you had your list of 20 movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to painstakingly make you bring that down. A drastic percentage down to five, and like I said, I don't, I don't need you to necessarily like number them, um, or, or order them because it's so hard. They're probably going to be different, uh, and you're going to like one for a different reason. And it's not necessarily like best, like which ones you know left the biggest mark on cinematic history. But like you, Mike Thorne, when you sit down, what movies do you enjoy the most? Like, can you still watch today? Are we talking horror movies or just movies in horror. general? Horror. Five favorite horror movies, and I would even say to like we can creep into some sci-fi. Okay, yeah, you know, uh, you know something, something because uh, because I even like with my show, I, I like to call it like horror, but then my like my biggest I think influences are like uh, the Twilight Zone and stuff like that. Oh hell yeah! Um, so it's a lot of my stuff isn't horror, but it's still the concept is pretty horrifying if you break it down. So just five uh, horror science fiction uh, movies that are, are Mike Thorne's favorites, go-tos. Okay. Um, so my number one go-to is The Black Cat from 1934 with uh, both Bela the and Boris Karloff. You just said names that I know, and for some reason I don't know about this movie. So Oh, I- it's their best collaboration. I, I'm writing. I've written so far. I've written down Kathy Koja, Ray Easton Ellis, and the Black Cat. So I'm learning things. Don't think that this is just for fun. I, I'm, I'm, I've got some things to to research uh, awesome. afterwards. Some homework. Beautiful. Well, the Black Cat will not take up much of your time. It's a very short pre-code horror movie, just over an hour. Um, and since it's pre-code, a lot of the subject matter is quite um, lurid and disturbing for the time period. Um, it involves satanic worship rituals, some murmurings of incest, a human skinning. It's a really intense. Yeah, for the film. time period, like to be, yeah, that, yeah, definitely. That's uh, even even stuff like the Twilight Zone. I think we watch it now, and you're like, ah, oh, it's not that bad. And you're like, well, if you put it in the context of the time, like this was pretty weird. People didn't really talk about things this way, especially with. I thought it was interesting too. Sorry, I'll let you get back to it. No uh, but uh, with. Um, when the new Twilight Zone came out, and like, oh, I missed the old one when politics weren't involved. And it's like, buddy, I don't know if you watched it that close. Uh, there was a lot of almost nothing you watched in the Twilight Zone was straightforward. There was almost always like a something underneath it, like a lesson to be learned or something within it. Uh, but yeah, so uh, so your first and again, this isn't in order in any particular uh, fashion, but uh, the Black Cat, that's one of your top five. Yes, yes. Also, yeah, love love the Twilight Zone too. Great show. Um yeah, my I my next one would probably be uh I'll I'll pick the next two would be Dracula and Frankenstein from 1931. Okay. Um yeah, I just think those are like just watershed films for the development of the horror genre, like the grammar of the modern horror film, and I just love them. They're endlessly rewatchable. I I just think like as an aesthetic experience. I can get lost in that Bela Lugosi Dracula film any yeah. any day. Just the 
yeah, just the aesthetic textures of that movie and Lugosi's performance. And it's kind of um, like that pairing of kind of perverse sexuality and horror and the way the film plays with that. It's uh, yeah. And again, looking at it for the time period, it's like people just weren't doing that. He didn't make that, you know, there was no thought of like, we're going to get rich. Like this is, this was pure, you know, for the love of the game. (laughs) You know, this is just a pretty niche thing. uh, That's probably, it's going to be provocative, uh, you know, right up there with, you know, what was going to be, well, I'll I'll save that for when we get to mine, but uh, this person liked to do that too. Uh, All right. So, so those two, you're going to come combine those. Uh, and that's what I, uh, so we'll let you get to your next one. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Frankenstein also incredible. James Whale, 1931, Boris Karloff. Um, oh, and if you feel like I'm rushing you, it's only because I, I always rush myself because I could talk forever. So if you need to go back and rehash anything, feel free. I just, uh, to be honest, first time I've ever interviewed and I'm feeling nervous. Oh, you're doing great, man. Don't worry about it. You're doing great. You're doing great. No and I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm trying to rush you, but also I don't want to make you think, like, man, this dude will just ramble. So anyways. No, no problem. Yeah. So, yeah, Frankenstein I love for um, – I think the way it uh, it thinks through, like, the sociological uh, aspect of evil um, and the way it reframes – Horror and monstrosity is really interesting. And again, just the, the atmospheres and the aesthetic textures of that movie. And Karloff's performance is just, I think, one of the great screen performances. And, and, and same goes for the makeup effects and Colin Clive's performance. I just adore Frankenstein. And I, although it, it's like a, a massive deviation from the Mary Shelley novel, which is one of my all-time favorite novels. I think it, it in some ways captures some of her core ideas and it clarifies them into a different medium altogether. So yeah, Dracula and Frankenstein for me, I just, I can't, I can't leave out one of them. They're, they're, they're both there. Right. So those, yeah. those would be and my two and three. Because yeah, like you said too, like those are like just so influential on, I, I think we had it happen later with, um, Blanking out his name, I want to say, was it Eli Roth that did um, Evil Dead? I'm thinking. Uh, that's Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. That, like just there were like that low budget stuff, and then there were just things that he did that nobody else was doing that we ended up just seeing like carry the genre yeah. for a while. You know, and so like they kind of I'm not gonna say unintentionally. Maybe maybe they did know what they were doing was revolutionary at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard, a little bit uh, egotistical to think that while you're doing it, <laughs> but 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 maybe they did. But like you said, we're, you know, a decade later and those films are still, it's hard to leave them off any sort of list. Yeah. Um, and it's not like they don't hold up either. Obviously, you have to look at it in, you know, you know context, the perspective, context of the time and everything. I can't hold that up to you know, like an Avengers movie and be like, this movie stinks. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a, we've come a long way. And that, that's what makes it so cool looking back. Like you said, just uh, some of the, uh, you said it in a better way, but just some of the body language the actors were able to portray um, when at the time, uh, again, this wasn't something that people were looking for. And to just really go that extra next step and really get into your character, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense that they they cannot be left off your list. Yeah, yeah, and Frankenstein also. You you talk about being horrifying for their time. Like you rewatch the scene where uh, Frankenstein's monster kills 
Dr. Frankenstein's assistant and you just hear like this screaming ringing through the castle. Like that scene is intense. A lot of that yeah. stuff still, you know, it plays and, and it, it's a lot of it is just the use of, of uh, shadow and, and light and angles. Um, yeah. And the way German expressionism bled into those movies visually, they're just like, they're just gorgeous movies. I could just get lost in them anytime. Um, and I guess my next one would be John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Uh, it's hard to pick one John Carpenter film, but, yeah. uh, I'm just obsessed with that film in particular. I feel like it just like synthesizes so many of his career long obsessions and, um, as a horror film about ideas, it manages not to just drift into this kind of boring didactic territory. It's still a fucking exciting and visually stunning horror film with this incredible synthy score by, by Carpenter and Howarth and, um, yeah, I think in terms of just like grappling with um, questions around, I, for my thesis, I wrote about uh, the horror, horror and knowledge, and the way the film plays with these knowledge systems like science and religion and philosophy yeah. coming into contact with horror, and ultimately the horror just absorbs everything. It's yeah, uh, but that's actually really interesting because it's something that we all think about. It's very like you can't really have horror without. You know, it's almost a trope. Like you, there has to be like a religion or science, either an experiment gone wrong or in a way we didn't expect or, you know, a classic evil. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting the, the way you just put it. Yeah, you're 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 a much, uh, much more studied person. I, I can sit down and like when, and I can write. Uh, but I feel like the way you speak, I can see why it comes through in your writing. You're you're you've leveled up above me <laughs> oh, sure. that's kind of you that's kind of, i mean it's just uh too much time sitting and reading reading and sitting in classrooms that's all it is <laughs> yeah uh well um uh I'll, I'll stop the flattery um and i'll let you get on to your uh your your next film okay cool so yeah we got uh black cat dracula frankenstein prince of darkness i think the next one it could just be because i had such an intense recent rewatch that felt like a revelation um, so, you know, my, my picks would be different if you asked me on a different day, but yeah, sure. it's, it's always impossible, right? Like it's, it's, we've, I, we've kind of loosely brought up like three that I looked at my list and was like, shit. <laughs> I know, I know. Because, and when I was making the list, I was thinking like, I'm leaving off Toby Hooper, George A. Romero, Wes Craven, uh, yeah, Sergio yeah. Martino, Kiyoshi Kurosawa. So it's like impossible, but yeah, that was, I looked at my list and was like, how did I leave off? Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, how did I leave off? Yeah. Uh, um, it, it's a corny one, and you'll find this with my list from Dust Dust Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. I, I love like uh, they're really self-aware. Like they're almost comedies, but then there's just an excessive amount of gore. And you're like, okay, this isn't just a comedy. This is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I'll go ahead. I'll let you uh, elaborate on, on your cool. Your list. Yeah, so, yeah, and another one, I so I was going to put one more, like, contemporary one, and I think my love for Rob Zombie has been, I've been talked about that a lot, but I I decided to go for Lars von Trier's Antichrist from 2009, um, which I recently rewatched, and I just think it's, have you seen that one? It's, uh... Um, without spoilers, can you walk me through it, because it sounds familiar. 
Yeah, so it's this um, couple um, played by Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg who experience a traumatic loss early in the film of their um, infant child. They're um, distracted in another room. <clears throat> They're having sex and they are caught up in, in that and they don't hear their kid walking out of the crib and he falls out of the window and dies. And the bulk of the film is uh, the couple going uh, on a retreat together in which um, the wife is nominally supposed to be working on her thesis. And you learn more about the thesis um, as the film goes on. It has to do with legacies of violence against women in the name of fears around witchcraft and Satanism. Um, but the husband has designs based on his background in psychology to kind of uh, help his wife recover from the trauma. And he, he kind of takes on this. It's that the film doesn't moralize or kind of use the characters to ventriloquize any views. So it's very complicated, but it seems like he's kind of taking on this patronizing paternal role with her almost. But there are a number of ways of viewing the dynamic. Yeah. And Willem Dafoe is just a beast of an actor. Yeah, he and like Charlotte Gainsbourg too. She kills it, man. Those yeah. two performances are just it's, it's 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 a it's one of those films that um draws on so many ideas around archetypes of gender, archetypes of religion and uh nature versus um I guess both human nature and the the thing we call nature, which is the uninha- the world that is untouched by humans. Right. Yeah. Um, and it gets it it goes there in terms of horror. The third act, it contains some of the most truly shocking and horrifying images of like body mutilation I've seen. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm going to have to check. This sounds super up my alley. Love Willem. Uh, so. Oh, you got to watch it if you love Defoe. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure how I've never really heard of this one. Uh, but uh, yeah, that one's on the list. That's, make sure you're in the right that, headspace. It's intense. It's, it's very intense. Well, right now I'm actually. That's kind of why. Like I didn't mean to throw this this interview on you, but uh, my, my family is uh, my uh, my wife and my son aren't here for the weekend because I have some stuff that I have to get done around the house. There's a state fair thing that they want to go do. So not that you care, but so they wanted to go, uh, and I was like, you know, what? I have some free time. I'm gonna get a hold of him and and see if we can make this work. But where I was going with that is I might see if I can watch that movie tonight because I'm in the headspace. <laughs> Perfect. Well, <laughs> so, let me know so. what you think. It's it's not yeah, a family think, movie. That's for damn sure. No, and, and my wife is not into horror and stuff like that. So it's uh like I said, I'll tell her, like, oh, I had this really cool premise for uh, this thing I want to write. She's like, oh, that's fucked up. You want to talk about that <laughs> about dinner right now? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're case-hardened as uh, genre freaks. Yeah. So you, you came up with a top five, too, yeah? Yes, I did. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, really quick back to that, too. She listens to like true crime and stuff, which I have a hard time with. And it's like I, I'll never understand. Like, how can you not listen to my, my fiction, the stuff I made up? And then you can listen to this. I listened to this one with her. It was about uh, the John Bonet case years ago. Mm. And I just kept looking at her like, how can you listen to this? This is brutal. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a real family. Like, I just make up that that dude that got his head ripped off in my story like that's fake that person never existed yeah. uh, <laughs> fiction violence is fine yeah no biggie um no. so mine you'll definitely notice like a pattern and I, like i said like we both said i think if we sat down and i really tried to like differentiate the list um 
and I wanted to make like a conscientious effort to do that, I could, it would, mine would probably be different. But I just went with like if, if I thought about who I am and like the direction I've kind of found that I want to write and like uh, just I don't know, just when I sit down like what do I want to watch? It's that comedy horror kind of stuff. So the first one on my list is the one I'm not gonna say they started it, but I think they're one of the first ones that I really know, which is uh, Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Just with that really silly like it's one of the first movies I remember watching uh, horror movies and just being like. Okay, I like this. Like, there's funny parts, and then you're like, oh, that was fucked up. But, uh, but, uh, and just, you know, Ash is just like a timeless character, even, you know, the Ash vs. Evil Dead stuff that came out recently. Like, it's, uh, it's the corniest thing you'll ever see. Like, it's not, like, I won't even tell you. It's just so campy that I think it, I don't know. It's, it, they're just, it's a classic, and it, it's shaped, I think, as my list, as it goes on, you will see, <laughs> uh, the campiness of that film. Uh, definitely made an imprint on me. Uh, where do you stand with uh, with, with that movie and, and the Evil Dead series as well? I love, yeah, I love Sam Raimi. Love Sam Raimi. I think my favorite of the Evil Dead trilogy is probably Evil Dead 2, but yeah, I've got nothing but love for Sam Raimi. Uh, I saw uh, Army of Darkness at like a late screening once, and there was a punk show before, and it was a licensed oh, theater. Cool. <laughs> Everyone in the theater was stoned or drunk or both. It was perfect. Yeah, blast. I, that, that's I a great, say that sounds like great the- fun. The perfect time we talk about headspace. That seems like the headspace to be in. For, oh for hell yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. No, I love I love Sam Raimi. He's he's one of the he's one of the best for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my next one, I, I think I don't even know who made it. Um, and I'm you got me. Okay, I, I thought you were. You couldn't hear me for a second. Um, oh no, I'm good. Uh, it, it's kind of became a cult thing, and like I know a lot of people have seen it, but also a lot of people haven't. It. So it's called Deathgasm. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I have not seen Deathgasm, no. It is, I believe they are, uh, I don't know if it was, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it, it was the UK or somewhere, I can't remember exactly, but basically it's a, it's a tropey film in that, like, it's uh, there's a group of kids, uh, they don't really fit in, they form a, a black metal band, they call it Deathgasm, and then they find a book, they play a song from it, oh, open a portal to hell. Like, it's not it's not the most original, but it's just, it's hilarious, and you just want to talk about, like, buckets of fake blood and just visceral gore for no reason at all. Uh, it, it's, you're going to laugh, and at the same time just be going, like, oh, this is really fucked up. So yeah, I would definitely, if you can find Death, Deathgasm, it's not on, it was on Netflix for a really long time. Uh, I'm not sure if it would be on, like, Shudder or anything like that at this point. Um, and there were rumors of there being a second one, but... Uh, Okay. Yeah, again, without too many spoilers, it's just um, it's just good, campy fun. Don't go into it thinking, oh, I really hope there's going to be some great learn. No, nothing. You're not going to learn anything. There's uh, there's one scene. Uh, I think it's a massive spoiler. I'll give it away. Uh, I was I, I was literally sitting in my bed. My wife was going to come home, and I was like, as it was happening, I'm like, this would be the worst part. I think for my wife to walk in. Right, 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 right. Um, And there's a part where basically they get trapped by these uh, demons and they run in the room and uh, their parents' room and the parents are like really Christian. Um, So they find a box that says Jesus stuff. They're like, oh, great. Pull it out. What do you know? It's sex toys. And so so they then. Jesus themed sex sex toys? toys? Are they Jesus themed? I think it was just to. So people wouldn't touch it or not think that's what it was. 
So they're running out, and he's just swinging this double dong around, and the other guy's got anal beads. And I'm thinking, like, it'd be really messed up if my wife walked in right now. <laughs> of course, she walked in, just looked at me, looked at the TV, and was like, I'm just going to go get a glass of water. Like, is this shit almost over? Like, I think. I don't know. I, this is, we got to be getting close to the climax. This is, <laughs> we're getting pretty outrageous. Um, but, yeah, definitely uh, uh, Deathgasm is uh, – it's a very recent one, and I think one that uh, – if you can do campy. If you're the kind of person who watch campy stuff and you're just like, this is – I don't know what I'm doing here. But uh, it, it, it's dick and fart jokes and fake blood. That's uh, that's what you're going to get from Deathgasm. All right. Uh, another – the next one is uh, kind of right at the same alley before we split a little bit. Uh, I think it was like one of the last really good zombie movies made, which is kind of weird considering it's a comedy. It's Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. I just – I love that movie. I have to watch it like around Halloween every year. I think Simon Pegg's just great. I think most of the things that he does are really great. Uh, just that 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 kind of British comedy where it's like uh, tons of callbacks and it's very subtle comedy. And uh, Simon Pegg's just one of the best at it. And there's also in that movie too. There's just um, like I said, I, I love to be able to laugh, and then there's just obsessive gore for. <laughs> For no real reason, and I think that movie's very good for that as well. Um, but I'm sure most people probably have seen that. Uh, hell, if you have cable, it's on every October, all October. So I'm sure you know all about that movie. I don't have to go on about it. Um, then, then this is the one where I kind of break uh, from my tradition, and I think it's it is mostly because I recently I was able to get my wife to get to watch Bates Motel, and then I I had to go back and rewatch Psycho, and like oh, I just forgot. Yeah. Man, like it's uh, like you said about uh, some of the ones you mentioned, the older ones. It's it's hard. It was hard for me to make this list and not have that on there. Yeah, uh, where it's weird. I almost like Bates Motel more, and I know that's a show, but I think just the way they were able to go in depth and kind of teach you about maybe why he was the way he was, and how even though Norma had nothing to do with the original, really, how fucking crazy Norma was in that show. <laughs> um, but yeah, and just some of the stuff again, like you you talked about. Uh, just for the time period, things they were able to do. I uh, I was listening to a show, which uh, shout out to them, uh, the Scary Movie Project. They kind of uh, if there are spoilers involved, they kind of tell you what these great movies are about, but then they'll give you cool snippets from the movie. And something I didn't know uh, when they were uh, advertising the film, one of the things they did was just it was just like a radio ad, and it was just like a long screen. And then, I'm in. Just, I'm in. and then it just said like the name of the movie. And I was like, for for the time period, that had to be so jarring. Mm-hmm. Like to just like there was no words. It was just a long scream and it's like, watch this movie. You're like, what was the movie? <laughs> Something's uh, gonna go down. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, in, in like to just to build up uh he was great, I forget his name, but uh, just building up, you know, the uh the end of the movie before anybody had seen it, he's telling like part of the ad was like, you can't tell anyone the ending. Don't spoil the ending for anyone. So just that sensationalism. There were so many cool things that he did in that movie, like the chocolate syrup blood, mm-hmm. uh, because it was a black and white film when no one was doing black and white anymore. And he felt like, you know, what's the point? We'll just make the best black and white film ever. You can't so talk think Hitchcock. Yeah. Hitchcock. Yes. 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 He just did so much cool stuff. And, like, almost flippantly, like, yeah, it's whatever. What are they doing now? Color? We're going to do black and white. <laughs> Spend a bunch of money on what? No, get chocolate syrup. We're fine. Don't worry about it. It's <laughs> It'll be good. No one will notice. 
Um, and then we get to my last one, and I'm gonna say it almost as like a not a joke, but it was a movie when I was younger that it got me like into it. So that's why this movie, and it's also like a subgenre of of horror that I wish would come back, which is like the creature film, and it's Lake Placid. I don't know why, just like a good like a monster movie. Like we don't get a lot of just like good monster movies anymore. Uh, at least in my opinion, like uh, I just. I don't know. I feel like the the '90s and like early 2000s, like that, that was kind of the market. And right now, I think it's all like ghosts and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Paranormal is kind of where I think the round most of it's in. But I don't know. You got, you got the parents from Betty White, and there's just it's it's a terrible movie. But again, I just love that campiness, and it's not. There's nothing really to think about with that movie. It's just there's giant monster. That's terrifying. I couldn't imagine being stuck in a body of water knowing there was like a school bus sized crocodile roaming that area that that fear like i don't i don't need it to be some cosmic terror or some building that has corners and shapes that don't make sense that's terrifying in and of itself uh shout out lovecraft but sometimes just a giant animal that shouldn't be giant is horrifying <laughs> i haven't seen that one but i've heard good things it's like I said. It's um I don't know. It's probably got a horrible Rotten Tomato score. Um, it's just they're wrong all the time. Yeah, it's just um, and I think that's why people got away from those movies. Maybe because but but I love them personally. Like, even my I'm a big X Files and we already mentioned Twilight Zone. Like my favorite ones were just the when they broke away from the story and there was just the monster of the week mm-hmm. thing. I just think that is uh I don't know. It's not explored. Even in Supernatural, like I, it's a show. I say yes, I know. I watch Supernatural. It's it's kind of lame. No <laughs> judgment. I mean, Buffy and Angel did that Monster of the Week thing too. Yeah, yeah, I liked that. Yeah. Did and you the, see the, the Shallows, the shark movie from 2016 with Blake Lively? No, but I heard it was pretty good, and for some reason, never got around to it. Uh, probably just because I'm too busy and then <laughs> so many movies so yeah i mean if you like monster movies i thought that was a pretty good monster it's just a woman and a shark that's that's the film and it's really formally tight and it's a, it's it, i got yeah. really caught up and i thought it was you know solid in terms of because i'm with you i like a good monster movie and it's not uh yeah it's not as much of a thing anymore but i dug wow. the shallows i thought that was a pretty cool movie yeah, i'll write that one down because I, I i was actually i got a few movies to watch this weekend that's what i'll try to do because i was gonna sit down and try to watch um they did another uh i don't know if it was a crocodile or an alligator um but uh it was called crawl i believe yeah. it came out for the last few years that's one i haven't got to watch yet either because that that's part of the issue is because my wife doesn't enjoy these movies i'm not going to make her suffer through them especially my specific love for like the campy ones mm-hmm, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. i'm not gonna make you sit through a movie called deathgasm i know you're not gonna enjoy it <laughs> she um, might like crawl it's pretty tame i feel like that could be a good i don't know i don't know your wife but oh yeah yeah uh, it's it's something like we try to um meet in the middle on certain stuff mm-hmm. and that's why like Bates was like perfect for us because it had like an element of like like a relatively normal just like uh, serial killer kind of thing. She loves true crime. You kind of get into it, and then you find like, oh, like he's crazy, crazy, and so is she. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so it, it might be one she could get into. But um, yeah, I got, I definitely got some movies to watch. Uh, I think we we had some honorable mentions there. Like I said, Brand Stoker's Dracula for me is definitely, um, even though Keanu Reeves acting in that is 
just offensive. <laughs> you know, shout out Keanu, you still got some great movies, but that oh, one yeah. there, I think you like your your credits and your name in the credits needs a little asterisk. Like you almost brought this movie down, almost. <laughs> your lucky Gary Oldman was there to carry this movie on his shoulders. Um, yeah, that's a just, cool movie. That's a like such so visually wild too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like I was pretty young when I watched it, and that part when he was like in the bed, and all those other vampires come in, and they never really explain it. Like there were the conjoined twin ones, and I was like, what? I, yeah. And they never really go back to that. It's like this is just this weird thing that happened. And it definitely happened because you're kind of thinking maybe it's like a fever dream thing. And he just kind of comes in like, hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you guys it's, doing? <laughs> it's pretty faithful adaptation of the book, actually, because I, I think all that stuff is in Stoker's novel. It's been a while since I've read it, but it's more faithful than like the Todd Browning version or Nosferatu. Yeah. Or, yeah. And that's it's when you are like a fan of a book or a series of a book or a series of books, like anytime they touched any Anne Rice stuff. Anne Rice was another one. For me, just, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I think she did the coolest, like, vampire. Or I don't want to say the coolest. But what I think of, when I think vampire, I think of, like, Anne Rice's vampires. They're very old. They're pretty sophisticated. Um, and, you know, it's the classic, like, things come down. Yeah. I She's think in the Stoker tradition, I think, completely. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that's what I think of. There are some that break from that that are still pretty good. Like, 30 Days of Night. Is a pretty good movie, and again, just a pretty terrifying premise. You go to a Alaskan town, and there's thirty days of night, mm-hmm. and a fucking chorus vampire show. That's horrifying. <laughs> you can't get away. Usually, you at least have the sunrise coming, and that's a pretty cool concept. Even though those vampires, like they are the kind with all the teeth coming out, to me, that's almost like a different thing. I think it's weird that we call them vampires, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I'm not a filmmaker, so uh, I don't really have a lot to say in that. <laughs> And we kind of have Richard Matheson to thank for that sort of approach to the vampires because his novel, I Am Legend, which is like one of the most often adapted horror novels ever written, it's basically what we would now consider a zombie book. The, the vampires are kind of like those inhuman, unstoppable, monstrous. Uh, yeah, and so. they're cool. It's just like when they call them like vampires, I don't know, like you said, it, it just, uh, it almost, it's more monstrous, it seems like, something else. Or, you know, then they had like a... It's one of my favorite movies, but I have to put aside that it's nothing like the series, which was Queen of the Damned. Mm-hmm. They they butchered that story. It still turned out pretty cool, and they, I think that movie is a lesson in sometimes just having, like, a killer soundtrack, or not even necessarily a soundtrack, but just, like, cool sounds mm-hmm. can make a movie better. Because if you really break that movie down, they kind of ruin the story, but then you get... Jonathan Davis and Static yeah. to write the score for the movie. Like, oh, great, all right, now we're in business. This is a pretty good movie now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, even just as they made Lestat like a brunette, and it's like, no, he's he's blonde. Like, that's a pretty easy detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a good mm-hmm. movie. You know, I hate to be that guy, but I don't know why we needed to make that change. I'm not sure. <laughs> that just seems like a weird thing to have to change. Uh, but still, a very good movie. Uh, well, I don't know. Again, my my taste in things is a little different than most people. It's kind of a bad movie, and it could just be that I just love that Anne Rice series so much. Uh, and I wish, I wish, yeah, like the one with Brad Pitt, the Interview with the Vampire. Like I think that that one's a really good adaptation. And there's some stuff they did differently too. But um, really good actors. Um, but uh, I think 
think that's all. Did I have anything else from the movies? Oh, sorry, I have two sets of notes. No problem. Take your time. Okay. Yeah, we might run over the hour a little bit. We're already at 52. Is that comfortable with you? No problem at all. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Um, so now that I uh, – just a great professional segue from me. Um, uh, I wonder if you were comfortable with it, just from the beginning of your career writing um, to now, what's like a, prog- a progression you've seen in your own writing that you're very proud of? Um, or even just, uh, was there a story that when you wrote it, you were like, like, I think, like, I'm, I'm getting somewhere. Like, this is, uh, I think, I, I think I can really do this. I'm, I'm getting to the point that uh, I feel really confident. Was there like a game changer for you? Hmm. I think I'm probably always doubting myself, which is part of probably what keeps me going. Um, I've, I've, I haven't yet reached a point where I think, Hell yeah, I nailed that. You know, I feel like um, there's a constant process of doubting, um, of of looking back at things and thinking, oh, I would change that or I think I could do better next time. But I, I believe that's probably vital for any writer who wants to continue developing and growing. Um, so, you know, I, I might look back at Darkest Hours and, and look at certain stories and think, that was close to what I would want to accomplish, but I, I, there's always something I wish I could have done better or changed. That could just be something about me. Um, but I think the first time I sold a short story was a big moment for me that someone, awesome. yeah, paid money to put, and that the first big sale for me was a story called Long Man, which was published in this little anthology called Creepy Campfire Stories for Grownups, but I got 200 US dollars for this little story. Um, and actually, originally, I submitted that story under the title In the Locust Furnace. And it was an excerpt from a novel I had abandoned. And the editor said, I really like this stuff you have about um, this supernatural figure, the long man, but I don't care about all this surrounding narrative information. So will you rewrite it for us as a kind of monster origin story? And that was a really uh, instructive experience for me, writing for an editor's um, tastes and preferences. And um, okay, yeah, that yeah, yeah, that's something I haven't even considered. Uh, and you said something else that I thought was pretty interesting too. Did you just dive in, going for a novella or a novel, or were you? Because see, I, I I've kind of gone. I, the, I read an article and it said like if you really want to write, I think the number was twelve. It said sit down and write twelve short stories before you even think mm. about trying to sit down and write a novel of any sort mm. or, or, or had you kind of farted around enough uh, with enough short stories? And then you were just like, I'm, I think I can just do this novel thing. Uh, you know what? I, I actually, I'm thinking back on, it. I mean, as a kid, I wrote a lot of short stories, but I wrote my first, like, I guess you would call it a novel when I was about 12, 13. And oh. it's by now it's, you know, if I look back at it, it's really cringy and embarrassing. And I was basically just uh, ripping off Star Wars and Lord of the Rings simultaneously. I called it long ago. Um, but I actually wrote the first draft of Shelter for the Damned before I wrote any of the stories in Darkest Hours. It just it was something that sat in a box for many years. And originally I wrote it as a kind of 
prose poem, like an epic prose poem. It was a very experimental book. There was there was very little conventional punctuation, no quotation marks. I was just like really heavily inspired by Hubert Selby Jr. And then I massaged it more and more into shape over the years. It took a lot of love and attention. And eventually I got it into shape where I felt ready to start sending it out. But yeah, I think everybody's different. You know, I think Ray Bradbury um, often advised writers to write a story a week for a year or something like that. Um, and he said, by the end of it, you might be able to write a good story, but I don't know. There's no, there yeah, is no. And that's, I, I will say like, I I think I'm uh, closer to kind of what you've laid out than what he said. Like I, I've noticed there's a story I'm writing right now that I don't know. I, I'm in love with it, but it's taken me like, it's only about 4,000 words and it's taken me, I don't know, a couple of months, but also it's because like I, I started with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like working my way to it. And as I've been going, certain things have changed and I'm kind of glad that I didn't just shut myself in a room and go like, this is going to get done today. Yeah. I've kind of allowed the story to, like you said, give it some love and some time and let it kind of become to where now I think I'm really close to where it is. Very good. I was talking to my wife and I told her like the end of the story and she's just like that sounds really fucked up but I'm glad that you, you know that's, that's just the conversation we, in that capacity so it's like like I have this all just sounds so crazy to me that this is going on inside of my husband's brain when we're about to lay down and go to sleep <laughs> that this is what's in your mind yeah um, but I'm glad that you're having fun and uh I'm glad that you think the story is going to be great. But that that was an interesting. It was cool to hear uh, somebody else uh, that it's pretty similar, that you don't necessarily have to just sit down and, like, hit some sort of a deadline, you know, which, of course, oftentimes, you know, when you get to a certain point, there probably are deadlines. But uh, there are certain stories, you know, you can let them kind of marinate, for lack of a better term. Yeah, and I think every writer is different. Every piece is different. Some pieces might just announce themselves to you fully formed and you just kind of they come out really easily. And then others, you know, it's different, I think. um, And for some writers, they do have a more regimented uh, approach. I think I think it's ideal, if possible, to have some kind of routine or regiment. I don't always adhere to that myself. I try to, um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's organic. It's just like feeling your way out through and, and, and deciding yeah. what works best for you as a writer. I, I, I try to be very, um, I try to let the, the writing come to me for the mm-hmm. most part, like whether mm-hmm. it's working for my job, I have like free time and I don't, but I'll have time to where I can be on my phone for a second. And if that, that paragraph hits me, you know, I'm like, okay, I got to get this done. But then, you know, I might have to wait a little bit. Cause I've also like, uh, how to frame this. Um, does it still relatively often happen to you? Do you ever write like a pretty good chunk? And then just go like, I hate this, <laughs> like several paragraphs and then just like not keep anything from it. <laughs> does that happen to you? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, it's a constant, up and down thing. I think your relationship, especially if you're working on a novel, a novel can take, you know, months, sometimes even years, sometimes many years to finish. Yeah. And over that period of time, you're changing. The book is changing. So I think the best thing a writer can do is try their best to ignore those voices until the draft is finished 
And then when you get to the more surgical and precise process of editing, that's when you can allow that voice to come in and, and try to be as, you know, uh, as ruthless as possible. Um, and, and also, I think, frankly, what comes in handy for those sorts of things is having some trusted beta readers, some trusted first readers. Yeah. So I have a few close friends who write a range of different kinds of fiction. I always send my my drafts to them once I feel comfortable enough to share them with a trusted reader. Um, because something, you know, there's only so much you can do while locked into the, the gray meat in your own yeah. skull, you know? So. And that's definitely, I play a lot of fantasy football and there's a similar thing that happens with that. Sometimes you get uh, what we call take lock. And mm. sometimes like, so you, you know, it's football's ended and you've just decided next year that this person's going to be good or bad, but then something changes and you won't mm. acknowledge mm-hmm. it really. And I, I find, I have found that when I've been writing sometimes where I've sat down or I definitely noticed too, like I can't really drink what I'm trying to write. Cause if mm. I, even just a couple beers, cause I, like I'll think when I'm doing it, I think it sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. And then I'll notice the next day, like, wow, this is hot garbage. <laughs> We're not letting drunk Cameron near this wheel anytime again, anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, you know, uh, it's, I think it's, uh, I, I think you said, yeah, some, some people are better, I guess, regimented writers. And I just, I don't know, maybe it's my ADHD, and we can blame it on that, but I don't think that I am a... I, I kind of have to let like the muse come to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, kind of where I'm at with it. But I wanted to ask... i got a few more questions for you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, firstly, stylistically, do you think... And again, if this is... I don't think this is a too hard-lined of a question, but if it's something you don't really feel comfortable with answering, you don't have to. Um do you think stylistically you know who you are and you 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 have your path, like the way that you write, and that's the way you want to continue writing? Or is there something that uh, we, we, we say we nitpick a little bit at ourselves, but is there something that you say, I find in my stories at the end, I kind of keep doing this thing or mm. I keep allowing this to creep in. Uh, do, like, so do, do you just think as a writer, do you think you are who you are or do you think, um, uh, of course we're all going to live and learn from experiences, but uh, do you think you've kind of honed in on the kind of writer you want to be? I think probably uh, part of what you just said would apply is that we live and we learn. And um, I think uh there is there are those voices that come in saying, oh, have I been here before? Have I written too much about X, Y or Z? And I think ultimately for me, it's best to not cave into those voices and to just let the work speak for itself. And I think as one moves through life, one does have all kinds of experiences and you let that bleed into the work. So, yes, a big part of it is is continuing to be curious about reading, continuing to be curious about writing. So as you encounter new voices, new perspectives, new points of view, um, hopefully you you soak some of that up. You want to be a sponge and just kind of pull in as much as you can. And I think the same goes for um, living life. You know, relationships begin and end and you encounter people on the train or um, at a party or wherever. And, and, and I think as a writer, your job is to be attentive to the world around you. So not just books, but films, music, visual yeah. art, relationships, dreams, nightmares, the daily news, all of that. So I think as long as you're 
open to the world and you're curious and you're um, taking that stuff in, you know, it'll it'll work out. That's what I hope anyway. And if not, well, if someone's publishing it, then that's up to the readers to decide. I'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah. here to write the stuff. So, yeah. Uh, so uh, to that, speaking of like taking things in from the world, um, I have noticed um, again, back to my uh, early obsession with Stephen King and his stuff. I loved how he had like his own little universe. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, and when I'm writing, I, I have kind of based all my stories because there's also that saying like, write what you know. Mm-hmm. where I'm from pretty much. And I've even used not real people, mm-hmm. but I've used family names from the area to try to keep it rooted. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you concern yourself with at all? And do you, do you, um, do you ever use people maybe not by name, but is there somebody that if, if, if they read the story, would they go, like, Hey, is that me? Or is this person, <laughs> is this person kind of like me? Have you ever done anything like that? <laughs> I mean, I hope not, not consciously. I would, I never, um, I never base a character explicitly after one person. I think all of my characters have a piece of me because they came from the gray meat in my own skull. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I also think, you know, there are, pro- there are fragments of people I've known. I think I bring moments from relationships and exchanges I've had, moments I've observed, but I've never, you know, met someone and then just kind of grafted them yeah, onto a fictional pasted them. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, and no. I haven't either, but I was curious because like I said, it's, uh, you mentioned like beta readers and a lot of mine were, were, um, uh, I just, I, I sent my first story and they were really, you know, they were into it. So I was like, I'm, First, right now, I'm going to kind of write a few more and just kind of create this little universe that we're in right now, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use names that they're familiar with. I'm going to describe uh, locations that are pretty much this thing from that town that we would know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're almost like little Easter eggs for people that are from this area that mm-hmm. only they would pick up on. Um, is that is something like that something you've ever done? Have you ever used, um, obviously, you're not going to say like, you know, the McDonald's on Maine. Uh, but of you, is there maybe like a, a dive bar or something that you've you've kind of used that somebody from your area that knows you specifically might be like? I think he's maybe referring to this area. For sure, uh, some of my stories are very regionally specific. They're not always. Um, that's something that has come to interest me more over time is thinking about regional specificity. I mean, yeah, King would be one of the greatest examples of oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. William Faulkner, too, I think, you know, there's some writers that just have like this really vivid sense of place. And I love that. Um, yeah. So that's like, something I've played and, and with. Tommy knockers when he uh, I remember uh, when they left that that atmosphere and uh, the guys came back and they're like, yeah, we were in Derry and, you know, this dude was tripping. He was looked over and he, he swears he saw some clown with silver dollar eyes in a sewer. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He's yeah. talking about Pennywise. Like that—that's pretty cool little Easter eggs. Like if you stayed with him through his career, you know, you, you'll you'll pick up on stuff like that. Obviously, that's a pretty obvious one. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I have any of those sorts of connections. But um, there's a story at the end of um, Darkest Hours called Fear or Remembering Absence, and I name specific places. There's a convenience store. It used to be called Max. The name has changed to Circle K. But it's uh, it's an infamously kind of um, shady spot in our city. Okay. It used to be called Crack Max. It was a hot spot for crack deals. There's just <laughs> a lot of nefarious stuff that went on there. So there's a reference to Crack Max in the story and to that 
kind of um, intersection cool. downtown. So things like that, yeah, I'll bring in just um, regional specificity here and there. Um, cool. I love stuff like that. I'm, I'm a nerd for it. Yeah, there's there's a fair bit of that. I think Peel Back and See, my forthcoming collection, uh, might have more of that, if I recall correctly. I was staying for a period with my ex-partner in Toronto, and I make some references to Toronto and some of the stories. So, yeah, I think it, it finds its way in, you know. Maybe there will be some East Coast stuff now that, I move, now that I'm moving to New Brunswick. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. And, and that was one of my next uh, questions, what we've already answered, which was uh... – um, you know, what's next for you? Well, we already kind of know that. So, uh, um, one of the other ones I have is, um, is there, we don't have to necessarily put a timeline on it. Next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mike Thorne, what, I mean, we can, 2025, what, what, what are the, what does, what does Mike Thorne want to have done by 2025? Um, I'm hoping to be, Close to done, close to finished my PhD. It's a four year program. From what I gather, it can often take longer than that, but I hope to be finished or at least near finished. That's kind of why I picked the four years. I was like, (laughs) I was gonna. Good thinking. Good thinking. Yes, yes, yes. Good clean timeline. Yeah. And and then, um, I feel like I'm reaching the end of the first draft of the novel I'm working on now. It might be a novella. I'm not sure. It's a novella or a novel. So, Hopefully that will be in a close to publishable state by then. I hope this thing seems to be taking fucking forever, even though it's not <laughs> particularly long. So, um, and well, now, wor- now you've said it out loud and people are going to listen I to know. it. So. I keep, I keep making that mistake <laughs> at the interviews. Yeah, I've done that before. I've been talking about this one for years. Yeah. And then I'm, um, I'm working on a couple film pitches with Jamie Blanks, the guy who directed Urban Legend and Valentine. I'm hoping one of those sees the light of day and I really want to collaborate on something. So I'm hoping we can make that happen. Um, awesome. Well, if you ever need somebody to die in a film, let me know. I'll travel. <laughs> All right. <laughs> noted. Noted. Yeah. So those are the two big things. And then I guess I'll have my dissertation for my PhD will be a creative work, either a collection of stories or a novel. So yeah, I, I just want to survive, man. Keep writing, keep surviving, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's uh yeah, I got another baby on the way, and that's that's kind of where I'm at. People ask how it's going. They're like, man, we're just we're just day to day, man. That one's still yeah. alive. He's happy. He's learning. This other one's coming. We're just we're just living, man. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts and prayers, bro. Another kid. That's uh, no small thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, then that's the like I said. I'm a little scatterbrained. Like last night, uh, I meant to get back with you, and then I got home, and my son had uh, he has extremely fair skin, and he got bit by some bug, and it was like blistering up on his ear. And I knew it was like nothing, but I was like, I better go to the thing and just make sure that it is nothing. Yeah. Uh, so we spent the night in the doctor's office. He's uh, okay though? Yeah, all good. He just needed, uh, um, you know, some, some children's, uh, call an allergy medication and, um, a little topical cream. He'll be good to go. Uh, you know, there's one of those that you see. I don't know if you have any children or nieces or nephews, no. but it's like, uh, you just feel that, uh, I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, and I've extended it now to him. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, bumps and bruises doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, something bites him and it blisters up. Or most people are like, look, it's just a – he's two and a bug bit him. You know, it's fine. I'm like, mm, I'm going to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure I'd be the same way. I'm way too anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I need somebody with a piece of paper that says they know what they're talking about to tell me that this is fine before I believe it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so everything's good, man, and uh, I'm glad to hear uh, we've kind of 
we've spoken some of your goals into existence, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully that helps uh, to keep <laughs> Kishi on track a little bit. Um, we're a little bit past where where I kind of said we would be originally, so I want to give you some time to kind of wind down, uh, talk about uh, your latest work again, where it can mm-hmm. be found, your work in general, um, and then of course. Uh, any shout outs you have that we can kind of formally put out at the end, anybody uh, close to you uh, that does work in this genre that you think deserves a little more attention that anyone listens to this uh, could give them. Cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, both darkest hours and shelter for the damned are currently available through the publisher journal stone. You can also get them through Amazon, Barnes and Nobles uh, chapters, um, I think uh, Shelter for the Dam through the Walmart. So they're around. Uh, Darkest Hours Expanded yeah. Edition and Shelter for and the Dam. And I will begin. I'm, I'm planning on building a bookshelf right here. Uh, oh, everyone cool. listening, you can't see what I'm gesturing at, but there's going to be a bookshelf right here. <laughs> and uh, those will be on it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and then my my next collection, Peel Back and See, comes out late October, and I'm very excited about that. I think it's probably my darkest and most personal book yet um so i'm very nervous but excited for that to come out in the world so that's uh yeah that's what's happening in the the creative world of mike thorne i'm working on some essays and freelance things right now uh yeah pray to cthulhu or satan or choose your dark force for me um and then some shout outs yeah so i mentioned jamie blanks he's just been um, an incredibly supportive and kind person uh, over this past year. I'm so grateful to have, have met him. So shout out to Jamie Blanks. Watch his movies, listen to his music. He has um, a new soundtrack release coming out. He composes music, too. He did the score for Storm Warning and Crawl Space. That's coming out through Howlin' Wolf Records, I think, this month. So shout out for that. Um, and then I have a couple local writer friends who... I adore as people and who I think are very talented. So cool. and ready. Shout, yeah. Shout out to Aaron, Emily and Vance. One of the, maybe the most talented poet I've ever met and also a phenomenal prose writer and also just um, a lovely person. Aaron. Uh, yeah, she's great. Um, and then I, I regularly meet with two of my dearest friends, Randy Nichol Schroeder and Neil Howell, not horror writers, but, um, both kind of genre writers. Randy Nichol Schroeder wrote a book called Arctic Smoke. It's like this psychedelic punk road novel. Um, very hard to describe, but it's a blast <laughs> and it's hilarious and trippy and awesome. And Neil Howell wrote um, a carny gothic noir novel called Only Pretty Damned. So good. So, so good. Uh, only both pretty damn. Like only that. pretty damn. It's <laughs> such a good title. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, those guys rule and they're two of my closest friends. We meet for drinks. Um, even over COVID, we met for virtual drinks like at least every other week. So love those guys. And then SP Miskowski, Robert Dunbar. Ah, there are too many people. I, so many great people in the horror community. Um, I encourage well, I'll people. I'll tell you what, maybe we'll have you on another time and you know, we can, uh, we can do that. Hell, I wouldn't mind having, um, you know, one of them on with you. We can, we can have that conversation, too. Sure, that'd be fun. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, well, I, I had a ton of fun. Hopefully I didn't cut you off. Uh, that's just um, – uh, I like to say that I'm an active listener, but sometimes I just get really excited and I, and I want to I talk, too. Uh, <laughs> no, it was great, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate uh, it. No problem. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. 
All right. Peace. Thanks. All right.